Pricing is the most sensitive part of one's engagement with the client. You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 206 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Pricing doesn't stand alone. It is an important part of your overall strategy. The market position you seek, the story you tell, how you present yourself. But pricing is also very easy to get wrong, as you, as you know. Set your price too high and you price yourself out of the market. Set it too low and clients see no value. So there is a sweet spot somewhere in between. But how to find it? This is the question I ask Ed Chen of Wise Mentoring and Chen and Naylor. Pricing, there's three. There's three types. There's time cost pricing, there's fixed pricing, and there's value pricing. And I have a lot to say okay, <laughs> about those three. Just to repeat that, there's time cost pricing, there's fixed pricing, pricing and there's value, value pricing. pricing yes. Yeah, I would love to know what the difference is between those three. There's three ways to price, and there's uh, time cost. So obviously um, the, the time that you spend on the job, you charge by the time you spend on the job. The second way of doing it is fixed pricing, where you quote a price and you and it's fixed, and uh, and you take the good with the bad. So sometimes you might be able to finish earlier and you make a bit of extra profit in there, or other times you'll go over the budget and you lose money on it. And then the third way, which has been pushed by some commentators, is value pricing. You know, value the service to what the client's prepared to pay. So I'll go through each one of them. And the commentators who push value pricing, they argue that, you know, that clients will pay more for certain things and therefore you should be able to charge more for that. And they put this argument to you that you're a professional and you've done years of training and, and education, so you should be charging more for it. Let's start off with time costs. So people who argue fixed pricing say that it's dishonest charging by time because you can take a long time to do the job. And there's no incentive to improve your efficiency. Correct. So that's their argument. And they said that fixed pricing is a lot more honest and should be the only way to do pricing. Now, my comment is let's put dishonesty aside for a minute because you can be dishonest using time costs and you can also be dishonest using fixed price. Dishonesty isn't just isolated to time costs. It's, it can be abused, both. Pricing is never dishonest as long as it's agreed up front. It's well, never dishonest. It's an agreement between two parties and they can agree on whatever they agree on as long as then both stick to the agreement. I can't see any dishonesty. 
Well, the argument around time cost is that if you charge by time, then you can spend a lot of time and you just keep putting it on the clock and just charging the client. So that's dishonest. They argue that fixed pricing is more honest because you've quoted up front and you've got to stick to the to the quote. But my argument is that you can also overcharge someone with fixed pricing. And that's dishonest if you're trying to overcharge for your services because you can get away with it. So to me, that's also dishonest. However, in value pricing, is a completely different thing. And I'll treat that as a separate issue. However, let's talk about time costs and fixed price to begin with. My argument there is that it's got nothing to do with what you do. So the what is fixed pricing or time cost. That's what. It's how you do it. So you can always get in trouble with time cost, just as you can always get in trouble with fixed pricing if you don't do the how properly. And the how is in managing your client's expectations and communicating your pricing to the client. The what is just the method, and just by just because you're going to adopt a fixed price method isn't going to fix the problem if you don't communicate that well to your client. So at Chan and Naylor, we do both, but we understand that the secret in the pricing is not in the what, but it's in the how. It's how you manage the client's expectations and how you communicate it and how you treat the client. So in the spirit of treating the problem and not the symptom, so in other words, the symptom is what method do you use and the problem is how you deliver it to the client. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. So if you, clients don't like surprises, that's the bottom line. So if you don't manage their expectations well, then it's going to be a problem. So it's in your management of the expectation is where the problem is. It's not the method of pricing. So if you use time cost and you don't tell the client how much it's going to cost because you don't know how long it's going to take and then you just give them a bill at the end of the project, then of course it's going to be a surprise to the client and of course you're going to have a problem. It's a bit like you you drop your car off to the mechanic to get it fixed serviced and you're expecting $500 and you go and pick it up and he, he charges 2500 because he's had to change the, the gearbox. But he never told you, right? So, of course, that's going to be a problem. But if he rang you up, if he called you up when he was serving your car and said to you, Heidi, look, your gearbox is kaput and uh, we need to <laughs> we need to change it. It's a technical term. <laughs> and uh, it's going to cost you all up 2500 And you said, okay, go ahead. You may not be happy with it, but you need the gearbox fixed. And you said, okay, go ahead with it. Then there's not going to be a problem. So in accounting, it's the same. Right? In accounting, if you don't manage the client's expectation, you can give them a bill at the end of the period, you're going to have a problem. So with time cost, we always give an estimate. We think we say to the client, we think it's going to be, you know, between $1,000 and $1,500. And generally that handles most situations. So now they've got an idea of what's going to cost. So you, you can't commit to a fixed amount because you don't know how long it's going to take. But that's all the client needs to know. It's a, you know, an approximate figure. And of course... If you got a job that you have no idea how long it's going to take and often you could be sent down to do an audit on something and you don't know how long the piece of string is, 
And the way I generally manage that is I'd say to the client, look, I think it's going to take three days, but it could take five, but it also took two days. But I'll quote you a half-day rate and then I'll keep you informed as I go along. So I won't know what's involved with the job until I get in there. So I get in there after half a day, I ring the client up and I say to the client, look, based on what I can see, it may be four days. And then you keep the client informed as you go along and then he or she can stop at any time or accept that it's going to take four days. So that communication is the secret. It's not the method of pricing that's the secret. You can then still get in trouble if you use fixed price if you don't manage the client's expectation with a fixed price. So you can say to someone, it's going to cost you $5,000, but you don't manage that expectation in terms of what they get for it and, and so forth. They can just take your price and go down to just a competitor and they say, well, I'll quote you 4000 and then you lose the job. In the meantime, you gave a whole lot of more services than the competitor and the competitor had, you know, had offered all these other things that you were offering. Again, if you don't manage the client's expectations, then you're going to have a problem, whether it's fixed pricing or time costs. So we use both. Depends on the client and what the client wants. So Doesn't it also depend on the type of work? Yes, which is what happens is it's either structured or unstructured. If it's structured, then you know how much it's going to cost. And if it's unstructured, like you know, an audit or, um, you know, handling a divorce case, handling a, a liquidation, you don't know how long it's going to take. We call that unstructured. So you can yes, give an S. That's quite a good distinction between structured and unstructured. Yes. So, again, it has nothing to the, to the method. It's to do with managing the client's expectations. So we do both. So, like you said, depends on the client, depends on the kind of work, you know, like a straight basque, return, even a bass return, you know, some basses are very straightforward. Yes. They've only got, you know, 20 transactions. And, and they have their receipts all nicely sent correct. through in receipt bank or yes. you have to hunt for everyone. Or there could be 10,000 transactions yes. compared to 10 transactions. So that's going yes. to take longer to process. But generally you, you, you have an idea. Right. So, again, it comes down to managing your client's expectations, your communication with the clients. So that's why I said in our earlier interview that not everybody can be a client manager because the grinders know how to do the bass. But when there's a problem and let's say they got into the bass thinking there's going to be 10,000 transactions and it's 20,000 transactions and it's a mess, those grinders don't know how to communicate that with the client and the mind as the client managers do. So there's a distinct difference between the two individuals in their roles. So hence, um, it's all in the way you manage the client's expectations. So, and if you do that well, and as I keep saying, I want to labour the point, not everybody can do that. You know, some people, I use this term, they prefer to ask for forgiveness rather than to ask for permission and uh, the grinders tend to just do the work and then have the fight with the bill later on, whereas it's much better to manage the client's expectations or, if you like, have the fight before you start the work and only certain people 
can do that. We can do that really well without getting the client offside. So uh, it's important that you pick the right people for the right seat in the in the ideal team structure. Now let's talk about value pricing. The value pricing proponents say that we should value to what the clients are prepared to pay. I have an issue with that because I argue that if you get your blueprint right, if you get your business model right, you don't have to do that. And the people that do that do that are the people who are basically working and their ability to earn more money is limited to seven or eight hours in the day and they're generally practitioners who don't have a business model. They've got a practitioner model. So the only way that they can earn more money is to increase their rates. And the only way they can increase their rates is to argue that they're delivering more value to the client. Now, there's some truth in that. and I won't say that there's no truth in that. But in the main, if every profession was to charge on that basis then if you went to your doctor and he picked up a melanoma on your skin and he saved your life and he priced by value and he said to you... 150 million. He said to you, what is the value of your life life worth? Yes, so it's a slippery slope. Very slippery because I was thinking of the ambulance driver who's saving somebody's life in a car accident if they priced by value. Correct. And, of course, that's an extreme example and we've been perhaps um, um, flippant, or... flippant and uh, cherry-picking, you know, mm. one extreme example. But even the plumber, you know, he comes along and plumbing's flooded and he comes in and he goes, how much do you value a clean house? And he charges you $10,000 for fixing your, yeah. your pipes. It is a real slippery slope and I have an issue with that. And I, my argument is if you run your business properly and you're not limited to hours in a day of earning more money, then you don't have to resort to this type of value pricing, which is really left to people's integrity and honesty because you can actually take advantage of people. And what I mean by running your business properly, if you make sure your ideal team structure is right and you're making money on the the services that you're delivering. So in other words, if you're making, I'm making this up as an example, if each grinder you hire, you're making a profit of $30,000 on them. And if you had 10 grinders, you're making 300,000. If you've got 20 grinders, you're making $600,000 profit. So your ability to scale and make more money through a proper business and a proper business model means that you can charge a fair price for all your services without having to, you know, value price and and artificially push the price up to get more out of the person because that's your way of earning more money and get the business model right, run it with the right team structure and then charge higher level services like strategy work and higher level kind of work at a high rate and the lower level value work at the lower rate like bookkeeping and basses are a lower rate, but it's done by the grinders. And then you can charge the higher strategy work and tax planning work at a higher rate. And then it's all transparent and it's not up to someone's 
discretion as to what they can charge you based on what you can pay, so to speak. And uh, I think that's a better model and you won't need to resort to this so-called value pricing because everything is of value. The reason why they come to you, the reason why we go to doctors, the reason why we use a plumber, the reason why we use an electrician is because it's of value to us because we don't know how to do it ourselves. But I prefer a society where we it's transparent and the prices are all there. So sure, you've got to pay a high rate for a specialist, but at least it's transparent. It's not up to the practitioner or the business owner to price it according to how much you can pay. And then you can confidently go out there and do business without feeling like you're getting taken, taken advantage of if you're the customer or the client. Now, that may get, get people's noses out of joint, but that's just my opinion. And we don't value price. We price higher level services at a higher rate. And we tell the clients that it's at a higher rate for these types of services. And, and so we've got various different pricing. And the work is delivered by the appropriate individual. So, you know, the bookkeeping rate is at a lower rate delivered by a bookkeeper. The strategy work and the advisory work is delivered at a higher rate, but it's by a more qualified person and a more experienced person. And it's all transparent. And there's no attempts to charge more because the person can pay more or can charge more because we need to earn more income. It's all transparent and the clients can determine themselves. But often the proponents of value pricing say, well, it's up to the client to accept it. But often the client is is put in a position where he or she doesn't know any different, you know, and then I think that's, you know, in a way taking advantage of the client and and the situation. Time cost pricing, mm-hmm. how do you set your charger rates? Is it three times the hourly salary or is it four times the hourly salary? Well, it's generally set at three times, but what dictates the price is the market. That the market. So you, you can do three times and if that's too expensive, then you're going to lose clients. And that goes back to my original comment about putting aside dishonesty because I think that you can be dishonest once you can even be dishonest twice but you can't rip someone off three times they'll leave so the market itself will determine whether you're overpricing so if you use time costing and you just put time on eventually the client will leave you because you're overcharging and if you do fixed pricing and you gouge them by upping the price to them, then they will leave also. So eventually the market would determine what that rate should be. And in the main, though, yes, we do three times the salary is the baseline of how we determine the charge-out rate. How do you know what the market pays? Uh, that's a good question. You're talking about from a client's perspective. You do sort of know, but you don't know exactly. But um, generally, if you get a new client, you can see you what can they see previously paid. What they previously paid, and then you well, to quote a fixed price, you need to know, you know, what's involved with the job, and, and in 
so discovering that you'll find out what was paid. So you have a general idea, but you, you don't know exactly, but you do have a general idea. So it's, it's you know, within 20% of, you know, what you'll be charging. If you're over that, then you're, you could be um, too expensive. How often do you make a loss on a job? Does it happen quite regularly or is it very rare that you make a loss on, a, if you, on an engagement? If you manage the process well, you should never make a loss. Right? The people that make a loss on an engagement or a job is because they've mismanaged it or they've lost control of it. Okay, So it should start with a scope, a scope of works. So you need to identify what you're going to do for the clients in a very, very detailed format as to what you're going to do. And then you allocate the time and the charge-out rate to that particular item that you're doing for the client. And it could be made up of 20 or 30 or 40 items. And then you then have to manage that the, the production of that job. Because if you lose control of it and you don't manage your team, because your team, I, I run it like a like a business, not a practice. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I imagine in my mind's eye that there's a factory and they're on the conveyor belt and they're producing the tax returns on a conveyor belt. And the scope of works is a budget by which they need to meet or follow. So if, you know, if you've allowed two hours for the wages reconciliation, they have to try and stick to that. And if you make sure that you manage the production, the conveyor belt, and, uh, and it's not, it doesn't get out of control, then in theory you shouldn't have to have any write-offs. should be zero write-off. In fact, if you run it well, there should be write-ons. So a lot of the jobs have write-ons because they've done it very, very efficiently and very, very quickly. What is a write-on that you spend less time on it? It's time cost pricing. You spend less time on it, but you charge more time? Yes, you've quoted $2,500 on it, and then it's come in at $2,000. I see. So then that means you have a write-on with fixed pricing. Yes. With, with time yes. cost pricing, you don't have you don't. a write-on. Correct. Pricing is the most sensitive part of one's engagement with the client. So pricing generally can't be delegated to somebody else. So the quotes up front should be handled by the partner until the client manager is proficient and then you're comfortable that they're quoting appropriately. And then the management of the job is a second to the pricing. But it's pretty important that the team is managed properly so they stay within the cost of goods sold. So I, I was saying that, you know, I look at it in my mind's eye like a factory. There's cost of goods sold and there's fixed overheads. And in the cost of goods sold is all the people on the conveyor belt. So we have to get our cost of goods sold at a particular percentage level. If you keep it under 40% and your fixed overheads are around 35%, then generally you'll get a 25% EBIT, a 25% return. That's after wages and everything. And that's a pretty good return. So if you think about it, if you put your money in real estate, so your, your practice is worth a capital value, 
and you can you, you've got that, that capital value tied up in your practice so it's invested in your practice and if you can get a 25% return that's a really good return because if you took that capital invested into real estate you'll get a net rent of 3% and you might get a capital gain of maybe 7% so you're getting 10% return but you're getting a 25% profit return and then if it's growing by 10%, you also get a, another 10% capital growth. So that's like 35% growth. And if you took that capital out and you didn't buy property, but you put it in a stock market, the stock market will give you a dividend of around 5%. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's even over 10%. But in the main, it's around 5% average. And then it might give you a 8 or 9% capital growth if you're lucky and you're still doing around 12 or 13% total return but your practice is anywhere from 20% to 35% if you add the capital growth as well so it's a much better return so the reason why I do prepare the profit and loss like a manufacturing plan is because I separate out the capital value, which you've got to get a return on, to your personal exertion, which is your wages, which you can get anywhere if you work for anybody. And then if you separate it out in that fashion, then you can see how hard you're working your capital as opposed to how hard you're working your own body, if you like, or or yourself. And that's why I treat it like a manufacturing business with cost of goods sold. Now, the biggest item on your cost of goods sold is your people. If you're buying and selling a commodity, like if you're buying and selling a glass, for example, you know what that costs you to buy and therefore you mark it up and then you sell it at a certain price. So you've got reasonable control over your gross profit or your cost of goods sold. But in the accountancy practice, your glass, if you like, or your stock, if you like, are your people. And some days they wake up and they feel really good and they're really productive. Other days they wake up on the wrong side of the bed and they they feel terrible and they're not very productive. And if you don't lead and manage and inspire and uh, or lead them, then your cost of goods sold can cost you a lot of money. And hence, you know, between pricing and managing production and leadership is required to get the whole thing moving in the right direction and pricing is a very important part of that. Welcome back. So pricing is not just about the actual amount you charge and the method you use to come to that amount, be it time-based, fixed or value much more important is how you communicate this price. So the secret is not in the what, but in the how. This brings our mini-series with Ed Chen about practice management to an end for now. In the next episode, episode 207, we will bring another mini-series to an end, and that is our mini-series about GST on imports. So tomorrow, our fourth episode about GST on imports, Simon Jorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting will talk about electronic distribution platforms. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <music>